Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 163 of the podcast, and today we are joined by Jilda Scarf. Now, for those who haven't heard of Jilda, all the amazing work she is doing, Jilda started Positive Action UK five years ago, and in that time, she has presented all over the world and had a huge influence. So we're going to learn about that today, but also her upbringing, growing up in Romania, what was what that was like, um, and also then being a lawyer for 15 years, and just everything she's learned along the way, and the main things we talk Talk about now that particularly Jilda is working with in her keynotes, conferences, workshops, and everything she does. But it's all talking around mental toughness, resilience, um, and how you can really improve your happiness and those around you. And as you know, this is something that I'm really passionate about at the moment. And um, it was so refreshing to hear everything that Jilda is doing and speaking about today. And not only that, um, the lessons and ideas you'd be able to take and action straight away, particularly positive action, that is what we're getting today. So guys, this is episode number 163. I hope you enjoy it. Alright everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm stoked. I've got Judah Scarf all the way from the UK. How are you, Judah? Hi. Dale, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Very excited. Yes, no, and we're just having an amazing chat before before we started, and I'm, I think we've gone for about 15 minutes, so we needed to get actually <laughs> some of this magic down recorded. So do you, do you want to paint the picture for everybody, a little bit of your background? Before 2014, um, when you started Positive Action, do you want to paint the picture before that, How you, what your upbringing, how you got to where you are now? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, that takes me back a while. Uh, <laughs> um, right. Well, I was born in Romania. So most of my life, actually, um, I lived in a very communist uh, country, um, close borders and you name it. So um, is exactly what um, you uh, will hear, uh, would have heard uh, before the communist um, collapse in uh, 1989. So um, I finished my degree. I finished philology in uh, Bucharest. So I did languages and comparative literature, which uh, gave me a first taste in education as a teacher instead of a student. So um, for me, that kind of... um, Stuck somehow, it just didn't didn't seem to to resonate very well with me. And partly because we're so, um, in in a sense, we are a little bit illiterate there uh, with what happens around outside the world, um, our little country. So um, then, um, um, in about uh, early nineties, I had an opportunity to uh, to come with a postgraduate degree at uh, Oxford uh, University. So I won a uh, George Soros scholarship. And like they say, the rest is a history. So uh, I made this my home. I got married and um, I wanted to go back into education to teach. But unfortunately, um, uh, Romanian uh, teaching qualification didn't exist in this country. So they recognized my degree, but not the teaching qualification. So I went into law (laughs) from all places. (laughs) I know. Um, But it was an extraordinary journey for me um, because I still felt, uh, you know, in a sense, I I felt like an immigrant, despite the fact that, you know, I came here um, in in sort of uh, in quest of furthering my education. Um, But doing the the law here and um, 
getting into a very tough environment, very male-dominated environment, um, very old school, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, I think I gave it the best, um, uh, you know, the years of my life. I I was a lawyer for about 15 years and I really enjoyed it. But then I had my son and uh, like they said, um, I didn't want to go back to, um, you know, a crazy life which I had um, going from... Uh, six o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock in the evening, no weekends, um, because you have to commit yourself uh, for a job like that. So um, I started studying psychology and um, I took some time out. And then initially I thought, well, with the background in law, I will go into forensics. But, uh, you know, lo and behold, it didn't actually happen. And I looked at my son and I think this was my moment where um, I realized that I wanted a really good life for him, like any parent does. But it was more to that. I just wanted to see. Um, living in England has given me a very different uh, perspective on what the expectations are. And um, coming from a communist background, everything was um, much harder, obviously, as you can imagine. But in the same time, we had a drive because the only thing out, you know, getting you out of that life was education. So we had that determination to be the best you can. I came to England and I thought everybody's kind of plateaued, you know. Well, we've got everything. Why why bother with anything else? So that really kind of concerned me for my son, thinking, well, one day he's going to be a grown-up and he's going to make choices and he's going to expect me to always be behind him or life to come somehow to happen to him. So I wanted him to to kind of experience not the hardship, but to learn how to be independent, to be um, self-sufficient, and uh, but also most importantly to be committed and to see challenges as an opportunity, not as a as a something to be scared of. And I started looking deeper and deeper into um, positive psychology, and um, that's the time when I uh, met Marty Seligman, and. Um, I love the idea of flourishing. I love the idea of well-being. And I I just kind of opened my mind to how um, important and how, how um, intrinsically we have to be motivated to succeed, but also to, to, to have that kind of really positive outlook in life. And I know, don't say about positivity, because some people think it, we live in an age of positivity. But <laughs> there is something about it. There is something about optimism, I would say. Maybe less positivity, but more optimism. Being hopeful for something. Yeah, that's so, so um, true. Yeah, so um, I started my company in 2014. And, um, you know, I was thinking, crumbs, I'm quite old. You know, what am I doing? You know, People have done this 20 years and they're still, you know, <laughs> developing. And here I am <laughs> starting something, um, you know, from the bottom and um, not knowing exactly where I was going. Um, and it did surprise me. It was an incredible journey and it was a very hard journey because you kind of not have a job, you know, to, to pay you at the end of the each month. You know, you just have to kind of be self-sufficient. And that was quite shocking for me because I've never done something like this before. And um, I realized that you can't give up if you really have an idea about what you want to do and what you want to create. I think you you have to push and push and kind of 
don't see obstacles, just kind of reframe and find different solutions. So this was uh, the day when Positive Action was born. And I just thought, looking at uh, more at the 21st century skills, looking at marrying well-being with pedagogy and skills where, you know, not always concentrating on the testing. And, you know, it's a big, massive thing um, at the moment in, in, in globally about uh, eradicating the testing. Although I do think that, you know, tests are good, um, we have to, to empower the kids to, to want more for themselves. Yeah. So, um, so, so true, yeah. Jordan. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's fascinating. And, and the one thing I really took out of that is that um, all the hard work and starting late in life and, you know, moving out from Romania and everything like that, just to, you, you, you've always been driven and to be a role model to your son. And um, how important is that seeing, you know, five years on now? And obviously you've presented all over the world and we're going to talk more mm. about that and everything. But how uh, reassuring and refreshing is that for you, knowing how hard you've worked and that you've started something really powerful and positive that's making a change um, as a role model for your son? Well, that to be honest, um, I think every parent will, will relate to this. Um, we live for our children to a degree. And um, for me, especially with my background where um, my family wasn't, um, I suppose because of the hard life it was in Romania at the time, uh, they wanted the best for me. But in the same time, there was never enough, if it makes any sense. Mm. So I didn't want to, to, to be one of uh, either a helicopter parent or either just an enabler. I wanted more. And looking at my son now, he's 15, almost 16 in a in, in couple, uh, couple of months' time. And one of the greatest things for me is to see him said, Mommy, I'm so proud of you that, you know, it's not about the money you make. It's about the change you create. Oh, and wow. he always starts with the thought. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I must have done something right. <laughs> because it's true. It does start with the thought. Then you start with the next step. And it's, it's, it really is very hard. And um, uh, but you see, if you see life as always hard, life is not fair. We all know that. And, you know, you talk to people from around the world and at one point in their life, they had something, um, a tragedy or a loss or a, a, a big, what they felt was a big failure. Um, but doesn't define you. And I think this is what I always felt that the message out there for the kids is like, oh, my God, you failed. What now? Um, and there's a lot of uh, research about um, greed, you know, Caldwell growth mindset. But again, we have to look at a whole child. It's not only about these little small elements. These are just like add-ons, you know. It's just more about teaching the children to be um, true to themselves and also to recognize how they feel mm. and where they're going. And for me, my son has always been... You know, he will love telling me this now, but he was always my guinea pig because I always kind of, <laughs> you know, I was, honestly, I was always a very reactive parent, you know, oh my God, oh my God, you know, every time. And, and I think parents do because sometimes you're tired, sometimes you you kind of uh, overwhelmed with, with all the other things which you have to deal in a day-to-day -day life. And your kid comes in and, you know, he asks you a question and you can kind of snap and I think, oh, my God, why am I doing that? And you regret it. Of course you do. Um, but for me, it was just kind of being present more than anything else in the conversation and just giving him the – because sometimes we treat kids like exactly what they are, kids. But they are so much smarter than you, we give them credit. It's quite – 
quite scary sometimes. <laughs> if you listen to them, they will teach you lessons. You kind of thinking, hmm, I know where you're coming from, <laughs> but I'm not going to recognize. So having that vulnerability as a parent as well, just recognizing that you're not always right. You know, that's kind of role modeling for your kid as well. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's incredible. But what strikes me the most about him is the fact that he always looks outside our little home and uh, my business in a sense. He says, Mommy, but you do touch other kids' lives. And I know that because you worked in my school. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, wow, that, you know, if I can change one child at a time, child, a little bit, the perception about how real life is all about and how do you get to, 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 to take stock of it and become the architect of your own well-being and your own success, then I think I've, I've done right. I, I love that. And, and that's so nice. I know uh, a lot of parents will be listening to this, Yoda. And uh, just like some of the stats that are out there, I think uh, I saw this on your website, but 26, 26% of young people in the UK will experience some form of mental health. And I know in Australia oh. that one in four primary school students this year alone will have some form of mental health issues. So as parents mm. listening along, what, what can parents do at home to obviously help their children, you know, so they're not going to suffer from mental health or but just really improve their overall well-being joy and happiness what are what are some simple tips that they can uh, implement today well i will start with the most important one uh it's connections (laughs) it's we something we take it for granted we just because we live in the same household because we feed our kids or you know we do not actually connect very very well because we kind of seem to live in our bubble and to be honest i'm I'm first of all my hands up um you know i get into my own world with what i do and i kind of think oh that that you know he's gonna be all right it's it's fine but it's not about that it's just being constant and start listening that is the most important mm-hmm. message, I think. Um, we don't really listen very well because we're very reactive. And that's, you know, that's an our, nat- you know, <laughs> we are born like that is a negative bias we have. You know, we will always mention, you know, um, you know, if you have kids, you will think that if they do something wrong, automatically you will just, you are, it's amazing. Your radar is there and you start saying, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you pick up this? And why didn't you clean your, your room? Now, if they do something well, we don't tend to always say anything because we have an expectation. And I think this is where parents kind of um, miss that little, little, it's not about necessarily about making a big hoo out of it, but gratifying them, validating for the work they put in. It's, it's, it's incredible. Something as simple as if my son takes a bag out of my car with the shopping, I'll really think, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Simple things like that. A little bit of gratitude goes a long, long way. Mm. And then they will start model that. But I think being open and create, keeping that dialogue open, because um, you, you do lose that, especially when they go through the teenage years. And this is our problem in England at the moment. The teenage, uh, and I work in, in many, many schools, and it breaks me every time I go to, to a school and I hear year eight um, girls saying that life is unfair, that I just don't feel myself, I know my mom doesn't understand me. And the reality is, the parents do understand they just so scared of how to approach a young person who's quite moody, you know, and quite 
you know, they're not, you're not always prepared because parenting doesn't come with a parenting book, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> and we, we, we really don't know. And you, if you have two kids, they react in different ways. You not always know how to, um, to approach and then you just kind of treat them the same. So just listening to them and just give them a platform to not to whinge, but just um, validate what they feel. But also, um, um, again, I'll relate a little bit to my son now and to all of, you know, the mates I know he's has, um, you go through, they go through this existential crisis when they go through adolescence and they feel, um, down, they feel low, they feel, they don't really know how to express that. They haven't got the vocabulary to do so because schools don't, doesn't teach a lot about that. But in the same time, I think it's, um, the bigger problem is, um, they don't know how to be uncomfortable. Mm. And as parents, we don't allow them to be uncomfortable. And sometimes we have to make them see that it's just a state. You have to go through that. And once you accept that, sometimes and you just have to pick yourself up to do other things. But sometimes you just feel like just laying in bed and just feeling, you know, just, you know, I don't know, just rolling on a, on in bed and do nothing, just lazing around. Yeah. Um, and sometimes kids do need that, but in the same time they need to know, okay, this is enough. Now, what do I do? How do I reframe what I feel to, you know, I go outside, I do something which gives me some joy, but because it's always a roller coaster for them. They come from school, they come home, they eat, they do the homework and then they feel alone. They go in their room and they feel alone. And I've spoke to hundreds of students and this is a common theme. I feel so alone. Some of them, they've got brothers and sisters. Some of them, they've got good friends, but they still feel alone. They can't, they don't understand why they feel so alone. And I think this is where the problem, it's, it's, um, it's becoming pandemic because they don't talk to the parents because, you know, if I say about my son, he will say, I don't want to upset you, mommy, and I don't want to worry you. Yeah. Or I don't want to, um, you know, to, because I don't know what it is. But it's not about you fixing it for them. Because yeah. as a parent, you can't always fix something. It's just listening because by the time they articulate, they're almost got over it to a degree. But also they might be able to have a dialogue with you where they think, oh, I never thought about that. So just giving them that platform, I think it's incredibly powerful and incredibly important. You don't have to spend half an hour with them a day, but 10 minutes, which are really, really powerful, just not saying, you know, when you come from school, how was your school? Fine. <laughs> That's what you get from a teenager, <laughs> mostly. So you need to dwell to learn how to, to dig a little bit deeper. So how was maths? You know, you said that you were doing some hard homework last night did it go well did you know you know this little little prompter sometimes makes them open up yeah but also you need to know also when to step back because again we it's like in a marriage isn't it sometimes <laughs> you become quite nagging <laughs> and then you become a white noise and yeah. they're not listening and we keep going and going and then we're still expecting them we're expecting them to react differently but we're not changing anything about the way how we approach the, the situation. Yeah. So reframing a little bit of that, if you see that is not listening, walk away, try something different. 
I think is very important. I, I think uh, a lot of things you just mentioned there, Georgia, is that it comes down to exactly what you said, being present. And if you are present and you take the time mm. to listen and, and you do listen without thinking, when can I talk next? Because let's be honest, that's what a majority of people are doing. They're already thinking about the answer that they know is best. But when you are present in the moment and you are listening, you've got that connection, you'll be able to, they'll actually tell you what they need. But you need to be able to allow yourself to do that. And one of the things you just said there, do you, do you think that with your son, with uh, not only with kids but with adults as well, that the, this alone, they, they never feel alone because we don't allow ourselves to be bored anymore. If we're bored, we've got oh, a million, absolutely. Like we've got devices, we've got everything. Like we don't <laughs> know how to be bored, do we? No, and I think this is a big problem. They, in, you know, when you said about boredom, I, I, I put that in the same line with being uncomfortable. Yes. Because when the, if you think about take away everything from your child, you know, all the devices and friends, and for a moment is in a room, and he doesn't know what to do. There are books in a room. Or, um, but they don't know what to do because they're not comfortable with being with their own thoughts. And mm. I think this is the problem because sometimes the thoughts are overwhelming. And that's why I am very passionate about introducing, um, a, a, you know, kind of a curriculum or a school approach in terms of um, understanding your emotions. Because unfortunately, um, there are, I know adults who don't understand what, what they feel. Um, they will just kind of tell you if you ask them four types of emotions, which are just the basic ones everybody knows. But if you want to dwell a little bit deeper, Mm -hmm. they're just words, yeah. Yeah. But then how do you expect a child to self-regulate if they don't understand how they feel? And I always feel that, you know, if you think about it, well-being is not a spectator sport. Um, And um, strength is not, again, is not, you need to learn how to, it's, it's, it's a journey, it's a discovery. And, you know, when you think about a child who, um, so um, say that is, um, is very compassionate or he has got a great empathy, how many times a parent or anybody will say that? You don't because it's kind of given, yeah. you know, you should be empathic, you should do that. But the more we articulate words and about emotions, the more people can correlate and um, make a causal relationship between how they feel and what the word is, and then they think, oh, what do I do if that's the case? So they, they will they will try a little bit harder to understand themselves because it is all, as, all about self-awareness. The more self-aware you are, the better you are. But what I liked about what you just mentioned about boredom is, um, you know, um, people are scared of being bored. People so are scared true. of being with their own thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes you do have negative thoughts, which is not a bad thing, though. Um, you know, because you can't everything be perfect. It can't all be positive, can it? No. So when I'm not looking at, you know, you don't have to... Um, um, ignore the deficiency, but you need to look at the strength you have. But in the same time, just acknowledging what you you do so well, it gives you that buzz. If you think about it as something, you know, if I'll just give you an example, if, you know, whatever, what is a hobby you like the most? Uh, I, I really like going for a walk with my dog at the moment. I think it's uh, it's very – I'm a big fan of walking, Gilda, and not only yeah, that. Yeah, me seen, too. Seen, and a lot of people reckon exercise needs to be vigorous, needs to be high intensity, but going for a half an hour walk, particularly with an animal, uh, is something in the last year that uh, I rely on daily. Do you? Well, you see, I think that's an imp- – 
in a sense, you might be with your dog, you do something which is good for your health, we walk, but in the same time, you allow yourself to be within your thoughts. Yes, correct. So you are actually, you know, I, I doubt that you just walk relentlessly without thinking of anything. You no. are Someone somehow even... You 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 bring some doesn't it will bring some clarity to things which, you know, they just pop into your head. And I think this is where it's a very very good way of um, approaching life. You know, just sometimes when you you feel down or you feel uncomfortable, do something which you love, which brings you that joy. Because you know what, the same like with the act of kindness, if you do something nice for someone or even just saying a nice word to someone, you actually give them something, but it gives you that feel good inside because you can see the smile on their face. You can see the way how we change, you know, the whole body changes when you give a compliment to someone or do something nice for them. And you see all these little elements and you see, we forget that to do that with our kids, you see, because they are all the time with us. They're present. So, you know, we don't always make that a little bit at effort where you just go in a room and said, how was your day? How did you do? We, we almost regimented the way how we approach our parenting sometimes. Um, because did everything go as well at school? Yeah. Did you do any good? What marks did you get? Um, everything else fine? Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, let's move on. So that's not a conversation. That's almost an interrogation, which repeats day after day after day. So having that moment with them and just taking an interest in what they do doesn't matter if you don't like it i mean i listen to rap music god help me <laughs> some of it is just like i want to i want to cry oh, oh. Oh, and you're thinking do you know what i'm gonna learn to enjoy this now can you learn to enjoy something you don't like well, no, but you learn to accept yeah, that's you that's see? so true isn't it the, the accept- you accept yeah, you're not going to love. You're not going to love everything, and I think oh, that's the one thing. Like, no. we're not going to love everything in life. You know, Jordan, there's things that even though you're running your own business, there's things that um, you don't like doing. There's things that your son oh, doesn't yeah. like doing. You know, but you accept it because then the positives outweigh the negatives. But you do Absolutely. need to accept that, and you need to embrace that. And I think a lot of the time, relationships go two ways. And this doesn't matter if it's a partner, a friend, anybody. They're mm. going to do things that you don't like, or they're going to do. They're going to have habits that really irritate you, unless you learn to deal with those and accept them, I think that's a big word, then it's never going to work out. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. No, I I totally agree. And I think this is it, you know. Um, Like I said to you before, life is not made of bent of roses and you shouldn't be really because then we have no drive, we have no hunger for anything. If everything comes easy, and I was saying to my son that actually one of the greatest things which happened in my life is the the things which I failed the most. Yeah, <laughs> and I succeeded eventually because it just, you know, it just makes you more, I don't know, not necessarily grittier, but you just kind of want to become the best version of yourself. Really, that's how I put it in a context. For me, it's not always a competition. I'm never, because again, this is, brings me to this social comparison. We all live in this incredible world where is, what have you got? My friend has this. My friend goes away to these wonderful holidays. It's all about Instagram. It's all this perfect life, which nobody has. But that's the perception. And kids don't distinguish very well. 
they just see whatever they see, that's what they take. Yeah. And this is really, really dangerous. And this social comparison, it's, 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 it creates this kind of anxiety, but not the want. That's the problem. It doesn't make them grittier. It made them, oh, I want to have, you know, to work hard to get these holidays or to, to have more money to do that. No, it doesn't. They think this is instantaneous because that's all they see. And this is very dangerous, mm. very dangerous. And teaching the kids to to enjoy what they have, to be gratif- grateful for what they have. Um, and, you know, it's hard. You know, it's hard when you, you know, uh, you see somebody who, you know, I've, I've, I know someone who's um, started a business at around the same time I did. Um, and I'm very successful. But they are driven for profit. For okay. me... I'm not gonna. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna kind of um, kill my principles. I, if I believe in what I do, I have to stick with it. Not because I'm stubborn, because I believe that creating change takes time. Uh, it's very, very slow moving, um, and um, if you can prove that it works, you stick with it. You know, it might not bring you the the wealth, but it brings you that gratification that you're changing something. Yeah. And for me, that's ultimately what it is. And the business is all made for um, not only raising awareness, because I love the campaigning for mental health problems, um, but it's we have to do preventative work. We have to stop uh, this kind of reactive treatment about everything. You know, we just have to, 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 to look about how do we prevent, how do we stop kids um, having... Uh, suicidal thoughts at the age of 11, which I've seen happening, uh, of self-harming at the age of 12. Uh, You know, it's quite tragic. Um, And some of the parents feel that they fail the kids, but it's it's not as simple as that. It really, it really isn't. It's, it's, we have to to some, somehow work together between policymakers, between uh, organizations, profitable, non-profitable, between schools, to actually look a little bit deeper. And, you know, and I'll urge some of the, the, the head teachers to kind of take stock a little bit and be courageous to make changes. Yeah, you know, I, to look after the kids. Yeah, and and, and so true. Like, um, I think we we all do need to work together because as a society, things are only. Getting worse, and I think that is because uh, there is more awareness around mental health now these days, and people are talking about, which is amazing, but we do Mm. need to work together, and I think that we want our students and young kids and things to do and act a certain way, but um, we need to emulate that as role models ourselves, so parents, Mm. um, athletes, teachers, professionals, Um, so... We, we expect these things from our younger generation. So what are, what are some areas mm-hmm. that as adults, as influencers, as people that uh, are role models for this next generation, what are some areas that we can just implement straight away today to make those changes so we are in a happy, healthy place as well? Well, it's a lot we can do. And I think partly is um, um, looking very much at... Um, uh, the way how we approach life, and I think um, because we're so kind of ready to 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 go out there and be reactive, and I think this is um, something which um, it can be taught, and I think using a lot of emotional intelligence in the way how you approach problems, and I think self awareness is very important. But for parents, I think. Um, creating this kids feel very safe at home well hopefully all of them you know but i know that some some cases which are not yeah. but what we need to try to 
um, because unfortunately the technology as as wonderful as it is and it does wonders to 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 our society it can be also very detrimental um, I walk in a restaurant with my son and uh, my partner and um, if you look around you you will see the the, the, the families with the kids, the kids are on the phone or an iPad to keep them quiet. Now, trust me, I, I was a parent and, you know, you, when a kid gets a little bit fickle in a, in a, in a restaurant, you're kind of thinking, come on, how, how, how can I fix this problem? <laughs> and we, and I think this is what gets me to the point. We're trying to fix something quickly, you know, and we're not thinking about the repercussions, because all this quickness, today is one thing, tomorrow is another thing. And when you, you, you look two years later, you've created some habits which it's really, really hard to undo. And I think by trying to, and I know it's not easy by any means, but there are different ways of, of approaching the, 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 the parenting um, through strengths. Um, uh, Professor Lee Waters, she's a good friend of mine, and oh, she has this amazing book, and I would recommend any parent to read. It's called The Strength Switch. And the tips, the real-life real tips, which are uh, based in research as well, she's, she's taking positive psychology to a completely different level in parenting. But um, there is something about looking at your children's strengths and identifying them and talking to them about it, as well as looking at the emotions they have. The, 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 and especially the younger they are, the, the, the more flexible with their understanding is. Because if you start talking to a 15-year-old um, um, boy about emotions, they'll think, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> because they don't want to. No, they don't. You know, men don't. May no. No, but it's not about... Um, necessarily and i think is especially with 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 male is about showing that vulnerability you know for me that's a strength without a shadow of the doubt vulnerability is one of the greatest strengths somebody can show because that's how you learn the more vulnerable you are the more you exposed you are the more you see the connection with people as well people tend to come to you yes you'll you'll encounter some some not so nice people out there but you learn to distinguish a little bit more. But you need to learn the language and the vocabulary to identify what you feel. And I know adults who are still struggling with that, as I said before. And it kind of breaks me because when you start talking to them thinking, but you're not reinventing the wheel. And say, no, I'm not. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. But the problem is we're not bringing this at the conscious level. We're just keeping it out there. You know, it's like almost like a dirty secret. Instead of get it out, mm. we just keep it down. Yeah. And, you know, and I think my worry is that um, with the level of, um, of um, not only the, the mental health, but the, the suicide rate in, in England, which we have in young people, is just quite devastating. And that's the lack of communication. That's all starts with a lack of communication between the child and the parent or or if they're in a boarding school between the house masters because kids don't open up that easily and that doesn't say is because they don't trust you um you know and the same with my son you know we're very close-knit family we we talk about everything but i still struggle at times to get something out of him because he's guarded he's trying to make sense of the world around him and it's just sometimes you just need to tap a little bit on the door and just wait till it cracks and keep persist, you know, in, in, in that knock. 
but don't expect to push it straight away because it it, it just doesn't always work. Yeah, and, and I, I think everything you just mentioned there, it is, it is so true, you know, that people are scared to fail, they're scared to be vulnerable, they're scared to um, show some initiative because people will shut them down. We've got this tall poppy syndrome that um, we want to we want to put people down instead of always praising them, you know, and I think that reflects back into um, young kids growing up, particularly with social media, like you just said, that people will post the most positive thing in their life, not anything when they're mm. down. So all you see these amazing positive things. So one thing I've loved about your work since I've been following you is that um, your mental toughness and well-being in high schools, I obviously run a lot of these programs mm. as well, but um, I'd love to hear a little bit about yours because mental toughness, I, I know that probably ruffles a few feathers <laughs> with some people because that, it, it probably doesn't sound terminally correct, but that's what I love because that's exactly what it is and we need to get that mental toughness. So do you want to talk a little bit about this program? Because I know um, you present yeah. it all over the world and, and it's getting great results. Mm. Yes, it does. And I think partly because um, I started with looking really deep into the well-being and resilience. And then what I discover is that um, once you establish positive emotion, uh, engagement and achievement into understanding your strengths, um, I think kids kind of go stuck. So then what? How, how do I develop that intrinsic motivation to, to further whatever that whatever I want to. Um, And I looked at resilience quite a lot and I realized that something wasn't quite ringing true for me. And and the the, the more research I did, the more I realized that I understood what the problem was for me. Resilience is a very dynamic and very reactive situation. So when you think about it, so say you... um, you have, um, I don't know, a exam tomorrow and you work hard, you think you work hard, you prepare yourself and um, you do not get the grade you wanted. Not saying you failed, but you didn't get, so you're very disappointed. So then you look back and you're thinking, what do I do? Okay, so I'm going to fix the problem. Maybe I didn't revise enough. Maybe I didn't revise efficiently. So that's what I call resilience, right? So you have a problem. You react to it, you find the tools and the strategies, and you walk away with it, right? Yep. What happened next time, which is not an exam, but you had a fight with a partner? How is your resilience going to work on that one? It's not going to. Mental toughness, so I always say that um, all mental, mentally tough people are resilient, but not all resilient people are mentally tough. Ooh, and I, like I tell that. you why. It's very true, <laughs> and it really is true. And this, I've got lots of research to 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 back it up. Um, because re- resilience is reactive, mental toughness is something which you uh, plan. It's something where you train your mind to um, envisage. So, first of all, what mental toughness is all about is actually normalizing challenges. So you don't see a challenge as a as a stressor. You don't thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do tomorrow? I've got to go to work and I haven't done this and that. No, you seek, first of all, you seek opportunities, you seek challenges and you normalize because you only, you know, you all live with a bit of anxiety and anxiety is good. You know, you have good levels of anxiety, which gives you more grit and determination to succeed. But then if it's too much, it becomes a problem. So by normalizing challenges, um, um, and you will ask me how you normalize challenges. Well, by creating micro habits. 
I used to be a great lover of setting goals. And I realized that, again, setting goals is great, okay? I want to pass my GCSEs or I want to get my A-levels or I want to get to university. It's a great goal. But how do I achieve that? And then you do use smart, smart, um, smart goals, and you know you go through all all the, the all the bits which everybody knows about how to break down a goal. But it's one element of that which I thought it was missing is these micro habits. So micro habit is very different than just setting goals, you know, achievable and um, you know um, all the smart um, um, acronym. It's about Doing something repetitively, especially when you don't really want to do it, and brings me back to the other elements of the mental toughness, which is commitment. Why are you committed? Uh, control. And this comes from the self-aware. If you're self-aware, then you know and you acknowledge what the weaknesses are or the strengths you have and you know how to use them. Then um, you think about, which is the core of it for me, is the meaning and purpose, which overlaps with the well-being. So if you look at the PERMA from uh, Martin Seligman, which is positive emotion, um, engagement, relationship, positive relationship and achievement, you look at the meaning and purpose. And for me, if you take a child who finds something which is very good at, say he's very good at uh, um, maths, you will see that they work consistently, they will work efficiently, uh, homework won't be a problem, they're flying through. Why? Because they found something they love, mm, something correct. they are very good at, right? But what happens with English, for example, where that's a weakness for them? They will postpone or they will just do something just to pass. Yes. I know I've been there. I'm, I'm sorry. You have been there. <laughs> exactly the same, Gilda. I'm like, that is me to a T. <laughs> I know, but we're all the same because you can't be good at everything. But what you can do differently is approach the different, you know, okay, okay, I don't like English. So what do I do? Do I have to do the homework? Yes, I do. Do I still have to learn? Yes, I do. So by reframing the way how you approach the, 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 the you know, you have to find something positive. For example, um, you like memorizing things. Well, that's an easy way to, so you need to learn how to dwell into your strengths to, to bring something. You might, not, you might not be an A star, but you will start enjoying the process and the journey. To a degree, mm. you're not gonna love it. No, you probably never will. Though find something. Yeah, you, you, I mean, probably you. I will never love maths. Yeah, uh, but it's the obstacle we put in front of ourselves. Mm. I think this is the massive thing, and I'm sure you you work with lots of kids as well, and they will say the first thing they will say, "I'm rubbish at this. Correct. I can't do this." Mm. And the moment you even articulate that, you're already halfway failing. Yeah, because. You, 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 that's it. Because yeah. you do not train your mind to overcome that. So mental toughness is actually taking care of that. So it's a, it's a really good structure because everything is linked. So bringing the well-being into it, you know, to give you the confidence. Um, and again, in, how many kids you know who are very, very high on interpersonal confidence, but very low on ability? Yeah. Because they can give you the, the lip, they will be fantastically covering up the lack of knowledge by just being quite, uh, quite out there, quite extroverts, quite pleasant, quite charismatic. Um, but then when you dig a little bit deeper, 
do they, they, they and that's where they try to overcompensate too much yeah. you see mm. so mental toughness it's it's built up i mean it's it's taken from the sports psychology and um looking at uh, New Zealand Rugby Club. <laughs> the All Blacks, you know, the All amazing, Blacks. amazing you know, sporting. Yep. You know, everybody talks about it, everybody, you know. And I looked, as any other psychologist, looking, dwelling really deep into how they become so successful. And this is, was the element where the mental toughness came because all this mental toughness was um, a sports based but nobody brought it into education and uh, my i've done four years of research now um which i presented at uh, melbourne um in july uh, the, the 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 connection between mental toughness and not only academic achievement but also success life expect you know life expectancy in terms of you know the, the successful life you, you you plan for yourself but Another thing which mental toughness gives you is that becoming that architecture of your own success, you know, taking stock of what you do well and being accountable for. Uh, because unfortunately, education, uh, the only accountability kids do seem to have these days, um, it's uh, through testing. Yeah. There is not a lot out there. It's always the teacher who's not doing very well because she's, she's not teaching me very well. Or is the parent because you didn't sit with me. There is always somebody else's fault. Blaming. And the blaming culture, which it is out there. And, you know, you, I saw kids um, age eight or nine. Oh, my mom didn't put my packed lunch in there. Um, but because the parent always expects is expected to do that. But instead to say, darling, would you like to do with mommy the, the pack lunch today and see how it goes? And, you know, just involving them in these little life um, journeys, you know, you, they will not, I mean, we don't own our kids, do we? You know, we're there to, to, to take the world by the, the neck and do whatever they choose to do. But giving that greed, determination and accountability for whatever they do and however they succeed or don't, but, you know, we are like safety net, but that's all we should be, just yeah. a safety net. Very, very true. But that, that accountability goes a long, long way because then there is no blame. And then it's um, they take stock of what they do and they start learning how to love what they do. Yeah. And um, beside the, 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 as I said, the, the mental toughness side of it about the way how we train the kids to look at themselves and create the habits, uh, create the commitment, know how to, to, to normalize the challenges, but also creating purpose. Why am I doing what am I doing? I have to find something in what I do. It, it's got to be a purpose somewhere. And the more you give them, the more opportunities you give them, the more they grow. And the more accountable they become and they will become more balanced. And because ultimately, if we get children to self-regulate well, then we will not have a problem. Whatever problems they encounter in life, they will be able to face it or they will be at least able to seek help when they need it. Yeah, and, and like you've just mentioned, Ed, it's all about setting uh, our children, our young adults up to be lifelong learners and be able to handle any situation that's thrown in them, not just be able to get a good test score. Because when they leave school, um, unfortunately, I, I can't name how many tests I've done in the last couple of years, but they sort of stop. You know, the only tests I get yeah. a life 
enough tests now. And, and that's the main thing that we need to be setting kids up for. And like you've just mentioned there with the mental toughness, that is exactly what that's doing. And I love that. So I am a, I'm aware of the time and um, I know it's quite late for you in the UK. So I'm just, <laughs> I always like to finish off my interviews here with a, a couple of little questions. So if you could look mm-hmm. back to when you were 18 years old and just dominating life, I, I'm pretty sure, were you still in Romania then? Yes, I was, yeah. So still in Romania. And if you could look back from everything you've done now, from obviously changing, moving countries, um, having Mm -hmm. a family, starting a business, uh, being a lawyer, doing all this amazing work, and you could give your 18-year-old self one little bit of advice, what would that be? Keep chasing yourself. For me, all this has been that. You know, you're never going to catch me, and I'm not going to catch myself ever. But I think his aim always to be the best version of yourself. And um, it took me a while to get that because I I kind of like most of the kids and I think parents will relate to me a little bit. We live a little bit through validation, external validation a lot. We always want people to tell you how good we are at what we do. Mm. And that's partly because we don't really have that really self-belief uh, or maybe we haven't found the meaning or the purpose where we lived for. Um, but for me, all this has, I mean, if I have one thing and I said to my son, I have no regrets. Um, and it's really strange to say that, but I really don't because I immerse myself in everything I did, 100%. If I failed, I pick myself up and I change the course. Um, but I will definitely say keep chasing yourself every single day, just Keeping at the best version of yourself—it's—it's it's an incredible for me. It's—it's it's something I will not not stop doing. Mm. Oh, that's that's very nice, and I think uh, at the end of the day that everything comes down to being happy and proud of what you are doing, and not anybody else or the validation that they're going to get. So I think that's great that advice. That goes, yeah, yeah. That, that goes away. It does, doesn't it? I think that's like a Band-Aid. It'll, it'll help for a while, but once you take it off, it'll keep bleeding, you know, whereas if you're not relying on a Band-Aid and you self-heal and you're positive and powerful of what you're doing, then that's going to be the big influencer in the end. So, um, last question, legacy. Um, I know you've only been making such a – it's only been five years since Positive Action's been I know. <laughs> and, and, and already look at the things you're doing. You're presenting all over the world. You're doing amazing stuff. So what legacy Thank do you want you. to be remembered for? Like what what's the thing that when – and, you know, you've still got a lot of good years, but when it's all said and done, what what does positive action, what does children want to be remembered for? Um, I think it's it's not, you know, this is it. This is not even about me. It's just I would love to be able to know that I was a bit of a cog into a big change in education, however small, but I was part of that mechanism which changed the face of education, and I would love to be able to somebody 20 years later to look back or even my son to say, do you know what? My mom actually did talk about that. And she did try to, you know, she did put every effort she had into that. And because uh, it's not, it's, it's, I, I started this business not being about me. It's about creating the change and empowering young people to, to, to become the best version of themselves and having the courage to fail forward. Mm. that is all about. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so true, and I, I really love that. And, and one thing um, I've absolutely loved about just sitting here and listening to you talk today is that um, a lot of the messaging and wording and everything you're doing is, is very similar to what I believe in and I'm doing, but um, we do it in a different way, and I think that's the best thing about this, that um, mental health, mental toughness, well-being, that 
it doesn't matter how it comes across, you need to find someone it resonates with because we need to work on this. And it's like anything, you need to be practicing it every day. So, Jordan, where can, yeah. where can people find you? Because I, I can imagine, um, I know I've got a lot of schools and teachers listening around the world and you do travel around the world. So where can we find you to book you in and, and get you to come and spread the amazing work you're doing? Well, just go to my website. It's uh, www.positive-action.co.uk and you'll find me there and uh, or just Google Jill Dascarf and you'll find me. Um, but it's um, it's very, you know, one thing I would like to add, Dale, and I think I, I'm uh, very grateful for you to give me that platform. But we have to remember that the more we collaborate with each other, the more we partner with each other, the more chances we have to um, to, to be able to touch many, many students because we come from different angles, but we the message is still the same. Yeah. So I think we have to be a little bit more savvy about the way how we do um, look at um, – you know, we can't just see this is a business. It has to be more than that. And collaboration and partnership um, in, in, in education is a is a massive thing because what I do might not work in the school you are in, yeah. but what you do might work in mine. And, you know, being able to... Um, to, to kind of uh, advise head teachers about what's out there, which is trial and tested, it gives them the opportunity to choose... Uh, what is right for their school. And I think that's, you know, personalizing everything is very, very important in these days because everything we do still has to be aligned with the vision of the school, with the problems the school encounters, and to be able to somehow help them the best way we can. Yeah, so I, I love that. And I think that's a really fitting way to finish there, Jordan, because I don't think it matters where you are in a workplace, at home, particularly teachers that a lot of the time don't want to share resources because then someone else might use it. Or there's all these, that's mine, that's not yours, but the more we can collaborate, work together, it's going to benefit everyone. Absolutely. This is not about, I can't, this is, you know, as I create things, I create a bespoke program for schools, but it's, you know, I take pride because I design and I invest a little bit of my soul in every single single um, um, curriculum I design. Um, but it's more to that is just being able to see that school flourishing and seeing progress. That is just what matters the most and empowering teachers as well because one thing I wanted to say let's not forget about the teachers because it starts with them and we need to look after them as well and you know it's a lot of burnout out there Mm. and they need to learn how to cope and um, you know it's if you have a teacher who's very confident is very self-aware it will do a great job and it will connect very well with the students but if you have a, a teacher who's burnt out and um, low mood or everything is it's just not going well so we always have to look at that as well to empower the the teachers as much as we empower the students so so true so true now Jordan, thank you so much for your time today and everybody listening along if you go to um, episode six uh, 163 there will be links uh, to contact you to check out all the amazing work you're doing contact her and thank you for her time because I know I love doing this podcast because I get to connect with amazing individuals and I've learned so much today so Jordan, thank you so much for your time and um, for thank awesome you very much for inviting me my pleasure. <laughs> you Thank are you very so kind. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs>